Today's episode is all about TikTok. This is part two of a series on TikTok. The first part was actually two days ago, so tune in to Friday's episode if you haven't yet listened. That's where I break down the framework I would use to get started on TikTok from scratch, all my growth tips, I do some myth busting, and then in this episode, I'm going to answer all your questions. So this is more of a Q&A, and I actually posted on Twitter and on Instagram in my stories asking you guys to submit any questions that you have. So I'm just going to go down the list starting with Twitter. All right. So on Twitter, Adil asks, do I think TikTok will be banned in the US and Europe in 2023? I sure hope not. I think there's a very strong chance that something will happen. I was actually talking to somebody the other day who believes that TikTok is too consequential for it to be completely banned, but there might be some kind of change of ownership where it gets spun out of ByteDance. Who knows what's going to happen? I'm trying to psychologically prepare myself for the worst, but I really don't know. I hope not. But then again, if it happens, it won't be the end of the world because now that I've created content and built up an audience from scratch, I feel a little more confident about sort of the meta template that I can apply to other platforms to do the same thing. Next up, we have Dina who says, Dolma, your account is a lot of what I try to emulate and have looked at a lot of your videos for guidance. Excited for you in 2023. That's so kind, Dino. Thank you so much for saying that. My question, did you have a breakout moment that helped you go from getting 200 to 500 views and into building an audience? That's a great question because I do find that on TikTok, especially most creators have that breakout moment or a few inflection points that really catapult them to greater visibility. And I did have that as well. So probably my first viral moment was a video I did about the life and career of Kris Jenner because I was trying to figure out how do I get people interested in the business things I want to talk about by using pop culture as a Trojan horse. That became somewhat viral because at the time I was getting exactly like Dino said, 200 to 500 views a video, which is sort of the lowest that you start to get when you just start posting on TikTok. And then this video caught, I want to say 40, 50,000 views. And to me, that seemed like so many. Then a few days later, I decided to ride that wave and I created a video about the failed Kardashian businesses just to illustrate that they have tried so many things before they found the massive multi-billion dollar success that they have today. And that video got over 2 million views. So to this day, that is my most viewed video. I did get a lot of followers from that, but I also think that it wasn't always the highest quality following because a lot of those people tuned in just because they were interested in the pop culture and not the business side of things. So it was an interesting lesson. I've had a few more of those moments. I would say that there are two categories of breakout videos that I've had. One being that Kardashian kind of video where it just gets a lot of views. And anytime I've talked about really major celebrities like Taylor Swift or Ariana Grande, understandably, because they are already being talked about so much on these platforms, those videos got a lot of views. The algorithm sort of registered that those would be popular topics. So my videos got pushed out a lot. But like I said, it wasn't always the most quality kind of views or comments, and it didn't always convert people to followers at the same rate that my other more business focused videos do. There have been another set of videos that actually, I think, catapulted my visibility in the industry a little bit more, especially in beauty, in direct consumer, in the startup world, in Silicon Valley. So those would be like my Glossier video about, you know, the reasons Glossier might flop that I posted, I want to say a year ago, a little over a year ago in November, maybe. That actually is the first video that a lot of people in the industry discovered me through. And then after that, there were probably a few videos like that along the lines of analyses of the industry or specific companies. There was a video I did about don't just be the face of your brand, be the chief brand evangelist. That did well. That got picked up by industry publications like Beauty Independent. And then I think there 
there were a few others like that, but those are the ones that come to mind right now. I think those videos, even though they don't get quite as many as some of the sort of pop culture focused videos that generate, you know, over a million views, those videos tend to be, you know, couple hundred thousand, but it's really high quality views, high quality engagement. They get shared a lot. They get shared a lot in team Slack channels and between investors and founders and operators. And so I really have learned that those are the videos I need to focus on creating. And so those are some of my inflection points. That's a really long answer. But I think as a creator, you kind of have a few, right? But that first moment for me to really simply answer your question was the failed Kardashian businesses video that did really, really well. And let me just add that it's really difficult to produce predict exactly what's going to go viral. So I would just recommend maximizing the consistency of your output and trying to maintain a level of quality in addition to quantity and just trusting that one of those will eventually pop off as long as you're adding value and following some of the best practices of TikTok. Victoria Waters asks, thoughts on niching down versus becoming the niche? So I think that it just depends on your objectives, right? If you want to become a personality and you want to become known for just being you, you are kind of in a category of one because there's only one you, right? But at the same time, you still are, when it comes to certain opportunities and brand deals and sponsorships, you kind of are competing with everybody else who's cultivated a platform around themselves as a personality. So I think in some ways, there's more flexibility and freedom in that. In other ways, it can be a double-edged sword because not only are you competing with all those other more personality-driven creators, but also I've seen personally a lot of creators get burnt out on always feeling like their entire life needs to be documented at all times. When that line between sort of just living your daily life and having to document everything and turn everything into content becomes blurred, it can be really stressful, I think. I think the niching down is good if you genuinely love your niche, you want to pursue opportunities in that niche long-term, right? In my case, I love creating what I call B2B content and I love all the opportunities that it gives me. I love all the connections that I get to build. So I just love operating in this space. I actually think that the most powerful creators with the most longevity and loyalty are a little bit of a mix. I've noticed that the creators who do well have a little bit more of a niche, but then eventually once they get a certain degree of visibility, they start diversifying a little bit more into personal content where you can get to know them because people come for the value that you initially provide, especially if you're starting from scratch, but they stay for your personality. They stay because they're starting to develop that parasocial relationship with you and they feel like they know you. And so I think there's probably some sweet spot that's somewhere in the middle that's a combination of these two that is ideal just from the perspective of business strategy. But this is something I'm still personally navigating, so I don't know for sure, but that's just my perspective from having talked to dozens of creators I've met and just observed the industry. Next up, we have Brie who's asking, would love to know your process. Do you film a new video every day or batch them? So it's evolved a little bit over time. A lot of you guys know this, but when I first started posting on TikTok, I started with a 100-day challenge, so I'd post at least one video a day every single day, and I should have been batching more just to make things more efficient for myself, but I was just filming a new video every day at the time. I still kind of do that. I don't really batch that much. If I create a bunch of videos in a row, I just start to publish them back-to-back -back instead of saving some of them as drafts. I probably wouldn't recommend this to people. I would say batch as much as you can. A lot of people ask me, how long does it take you to create a video? It really depends. Some of the deep dives I've done on specific celebrities who have businesses or brands 
or specific companies, especially ones that are really well-known and have a lot of content about them online, those have taken me days and in some cases even weeks. I mean, for me to dive into the Taylor Swift scooter bond debacle took me a couple of weeks, actually. Same with just learning about all of Rihanna's different businesses and brands. Same with Glossier. I mean, that probably took me the longest. I've probably devoted the most time to deep diving into Glossier. I've basically read everything available on the internet about them. It really just depends kind of how much info there is out there and what I'm trying to say about it. I typically, if I'm saying anything about a business, I like to make sure I've done a lot of research. If I talk about a brand, you guys can rest assured, I've done a lot of rigorous research and the video that I make is kind of the tip of the iceberg. If somebody's just asking a question that I already know the answer to, I can kind of just do an off-the-cuff video, do maybe a little bit of research to bolster my points. So anyway, to answer your question, I do film it every time and then post it right after that. I don't batch them, but I should. Anyway, Lorena is asking, would love to know how you as a creator vet the companies you work and partner with. That's a great question. The vast majority of the brand partnerships I do are with B2B companies or tech companies that are a fit for my audience. Most of them are B2B companies that target e-commerce brands. So they're e-com enablement or MarTech or something that would help your business grow more or manage its operations more smoothly. So first of all, that's like the main filter. And then second, I like to make sure that that is a reputable platform or software or product that is used by high-performing, well-known brands. If these top brands that are so well-known are all using this tool, then I can trust that it's probably a pretty good tool. And then I like to get demos where I can. I like to dig in. I like to ask people in my network, hey, have you used this? Do you like it? And so I really like to make sure that I'm maintaining the trust of my audience as much as possible by only promoting things that I would organically promote. I've turned down a lot of deals because for me, maintaining the trust that my audience has in me, especially because I think they do already have a lot of trust in me and in my recommendations. So I take that very seriously. From time to time, I will do brand deals that are outside of that. For example, my first brand deal was with TikTok, and that was for one of their own separate channels that they were doing. So obviously that wasn't B2B necessarily, but it was with a tech company. I've done two deals with consumer brands. So sometimes people ask me, oh, are all these different brands that you're breaking down and doing analyses of, how many of them are paid Almost none of them. There have been two instances where I accepted a brand sponsorship with a consumer-facing brand, like a beauty brand. Both of them were beauty brands. One was Crave Beauty and the other one was Jones Road. I really loved that they were approaching me and saying, we don't need you to promote our products. We want you to tell the story in your own organic style of this initiative that we're doing that is mission-driven, impact-driven. And I love that. So I will say yes to those very selectively, especially if I really love the products and the team. Like I also have to feel like, oh, I've met the team. I know them to an extent. And I feel like their hearts are really in this and they really care about this. It's not just a greenwashing thing. It's not just kind of like a fake promotional marketing strategy. They really care about this initiative. I want to use my platform to amplify what they're doing because I also want to just spotlight the brands that are doing good in the world and hopefully kind of indirectly encourage and inspire other brands to do the same. So sometimes I will do that. I'm totally open to doing more of that, but I don't think it's very often that a brand initiative or campaign kind of meets all that criteria and they can afford my rates. 
All right. So Caitlin is asking me, how did you find your authentic voice rather than copy other existing viral accounts? How do you capture someone's attention in the first few seconds of your videos? These are excellent questions. So finding your authentic voice is very difficult. And in the beginning, you do kind of have to copy other existing viral accounts. But in my case, there weren't any accounts that were doing what I did. So I could only copy accounts that were adjacent to mine and talking about something totally different, but just in a format that was similar. So I tried to do that. But really for TikTok, it's just a matter of trial and experimentation and error. So I think for me, finding my authentic voice was just a matter of seeing accounts that would talk about things like economics or media theory, and then figuring out how to apply that to what I wanted to talk about. How do I capture someone's attention in the first few seconds of my videos? I do a few things. Either I will do what, what I like to call leading with the punchline, where I will just say the thing that is the main key point of the video and then use the rest of the video to kind of support it, almost like stating a thesis in an essay and then using the rest of the essay to bolster that statement. Or I will try to include something that's kind of a hook. I'll try to make it spicy. I think I've figured out a little bit more over time how to make that hook a little more engaging and compelling and add a little bit more mystery and intrigue so that you're not being too clickbaity, but you are kind of being somewhat just provocative enough that you hold somebody's attention. The Glossier flop video is an example, right? Because me saying, here are the reasons I think Glossier is going to flop soon is a pretty bold statement. So I think these are a few ways to do that, especially if you have a more educational channel. A lot of my advice, by the way, guys, is going to be relevant to more educational content, right? Because that's what I know best. Sagar is asking, how many hours did you allocate to creating videos? Was any editing outsourced? So I started to address this a little bit earlier. In the beginning, I was spending hours every day creating these videos. The bulk of that time, I would say, went into conducting the research and then the more research I did, the more time it took me to generate an outline and figure out what to include and what to exclude because I had a lot to say. So it was really hard to just whittle it down to something that was distilled and concise. And then I would create that outline and then I would start to film. I would usually film a few times. I would do several takes. And then finally, I would start to edit. So the filming and the editing would take probably about an hour, um, especially for some of these deep dive videos. And the research would take hours and hours. And the outlining would take maybe also an hour or in some cases, two hours. So it took a lot of time. I would say that it's really hard to keep up this cadence, but again, it all just comes down to what is your niche? How much time do you actually have? Are you being efficient about getting the most out of that research? So for example, if I do a lot of research, especially these days for a specific topic, I'll be sure to try to create several videos out of that, knowing that that's maximizing my chances of at least one of them going viral. Was any editing outsourced? Absolutely not. I was doing all of it just in TikTok. Still to this day, all the filming I do, all the editing I do, everything is just purely in TikTok. From time to time, especially for brand deals, I'll use CapCut, but usually it's TikTok. Gil is asking, how did you generate 100 days worth of ideas? So that is the least challenging part of this whole thing. At any given moment, I just have this massive backlog of things I could be talking about that I want to talk about based on current events or just evergreen content or things that people have requested. So that's not hard at all. It's just about, you know, brainstorming what would be interesting to me, what I think would be educational, what people are asking. But in the beginning, I would say if you struggle to come up with ideas, I would do these two exercises. One is 
in that niche or in that topic, what are some of the most common questions people ask you or people ask about that particular topic? That's a good place to start. And then another tip is if your niche is something that's already on TikTok, if there are other creators who talk about that thing, you can go to their comments and see what questions people are asking and use that to inspire you. You could even go on Reddit or you can go to, I don't know, just the comment section of wherever else people talk about that thing and see what people are most frequently asking. Bryce asks, what do you think about all the privacy issues that TikTok brings about? I don't really think about it. Maybe I should, but I just don't. I don't have much more to say about that, but I don't know. It is what it is. Eternal Garden is asking, what is the best way to automate this process? Again, I'm not the best person to ask because I have not systematized any of this, but there are probably ways. I mean, batching them would be one, right? Having somebody that you send the raw files to who can edit things would be another. There are probably several ways, but I just don't do any of that. So I don't really know. Sirius in Dota is asking me, do you have a niche that you focus your videos around and how regularly do you post on TikTok? So yes, I talk about business, especially direct consumer brands, retail, e-commerce, venture capital, startups. So that's generally what I talk about. And then I have kind of a through line of focusing more on female founded businesses and female founders. And then how regularly do I post? So that has changed, declined, to be honest, over time. Um, In the beginning, I was posting at least once a day. And recently, it's been more sort of sporadic. I will sometimes go a few days without posting, and then I'll post a couple in a row on any given day that I have time and bandwidth. So it varies a lot. Okay, Donavir Saria. I hope I'm not butchering your name, but it sounds like a beautiful name. So he is asking, perfect timing. I've been wanting to do a TikTok all about new business ideas, questions, most important levers for TikTok videos that gets views, for example, topic versus trending songs and monetization. How exactly did you monetize your TikTok at your size to make enough to hit full time? So the answer to the first question, most important levers, I would actually go back to the episode I published on Friday because I talk about a lot of my growth tips that I've learned, but just to recap some of them, I think a hook is important. Get better at creating a good hook just being consistent in terms of your format, delivery, and even aesthetic can be helpful in terms of implicitly kind of signaling to people those cues that eventually get people to associate those cues with your content. Another thing would be to, let's see, like trends help a little bit, but I would say in the beginning, if you're just trying to follow trends, I've seen that be a harder path to growth, especially in the beginning from zero versus just straight up adding a lot of value, adding a density of consistent value. So that's what I would recommend instead. I would say maybe incorporate some trending kind of songs, but focus more on adding value. Your topic matters a lot more. At the same time, there are certain songs that if any sort of avid TikTok consumer hears them, they know that the video is about to be really emotional or intriguing or mysterious or funny. So I'd say consume enough TikTok such that you become somewhat literate in some of these even like audio cues to use that as a shorthand to communicate with your audience. There are a lot of other growth tips, but again, I addressed a lot of them on Friday, so I would go back to that episode because I can't really remember all of them right now. Monetization, how did I monetize at my size? So I am right now a little over 99,000, just shy of 100,000 followers. And how did I monetize? So I started to monetize when I was at 30,000 and not because I was seeking out brand deals. In fact, I've done a number of brand deals and I've never actually pitched myself to any of them. They all 
were inbound. And I think that's because I chose a really sort of narrow, specific, high quality niche. So I think when you are able to monetize and to what extent and how easily really does depend on your niche and the quality that you provide within that niche and also how differentiated you are. I did something that I often call platform arbitrage, which is that I saw content that was popular on other platforms, but not yet on TikTok. And then I started to create the equivalent of that content on TikTok and it worked really well. So a lot of business analysis, you see that on Twitter and Twitter threads, you see that in Substack, on podcasts, on LinkedIn, obviously, but you don't see a lot of that on TikTok, or at least at the time you didn't. And when I started to do it, my account stood out because it was kind of fresh and different. So I would say that's another factor that probably contributed to me being able to monetize fairly quickly. And let's see, how did I monetize on my size? I don't have any special strategies for you other than I picked the right niche and I worked really hard to create good content in that niche. And I never really pitched myself to brands. I still don't really have a media kit. I am not very good at like selling myself, but it's worked out well so far. Okay, he has a follow-up tweet and he is asking, if you had to start all over and get the same results in half the time, how would your content strategy look like? Any real big TikTok mistakes or myths to avoid? What should someone expect as they grow an audience on TikTok? Any unique advice for other business TikTokers? These are all really good questions. If I had to start all over and get the same results, again, I do address this, this exact question in my Friday episode. So go tune in if you want the full version of the answer. But if I had to start all over again and get the same results, I would search what brands and businesses are trending the most on TikTok. And then I would figure out what people are saying about them. And then I would do a bunch of research on them to figure out what people have not yet said. And then I would just start to create a list of perspectives and hot takes and analyses, and then each can be turned into a video. So I would just do that rinse and repeat. Probably the way I would do it to make it as efficient as possible and to grow from zero as quickly as possible is I would try to focus on one business or one strategy or one specific topic every single day. And I would do the research and then I would try to get at least three pieces of content out of that research so that all the research is being maximized as far as how many pieces of content it gets turned into. Any real big TikTok mistakes or myths to avoid? I think people give up too soon. They don't spend enough time being consistent, which doesn't give them the opportunity to become better at that entertainment portion. Because the thing about TikTok at the end of the day is that it is an entertainment platform. It's actually not a social media platform when you think about it, because it's not based on the social graph. TikTok kind of competes with the likes of Netflix for our attention. So I think it's really important for people to understand that even if they have the best value in the world to provide, they also need to learn how to become good talent. And most people struggle with doing both. I think the myths, again, you are asking really great questions and a lot of them are addressed in my Friday episode, but common myths include TikTok is not for my niche. That's a misconception just given the fact that there are 1 billion monthly active users and it is also a good platform for B2B businesses, whether you're an agency or you're you know, a software company, especially if you're targeting SMBs, because a lot of small business owners or founders or early stage kind of operators are on TikTok, right? It's harder because of the nature of the algorithm if you're targeting like enterprise clients or your market size is very, very narrow to make TikTok work for you. But I think that if your market size is really large and they're small and medium enterprises, then I think that TikTok can absolutely work for you. And finally, I would say the biggest mistake or myth is that 
quantity is more important than quality. Quality is really, really important. And again, I'm a testament to that. You pointed it out. How did I monetize and go full time so early? It's because I really focused on quality, not only in the sense of trying to make my individual pieces of content as high quality as possible, but also I was mindful to cultivate a really strong community and maintain the trust and loyalty of that community. And I think that's something that a lot of, especially TikTok creators get wrong because they just get caught in the game of trying to go viral as much as possible. But if you go too broad and not deep enough, you sacrifice longevity, you sacrifice your potential for high quality opportunities. What should someone expect as they grow an audience on TikTok? From time to time, you'll get trolls or haters who just are spewing negativity for no reason, or they're willfully misunderstanding you, or they're just kind of coming at you with these ad hominem attacks that are completely unrelated to what you're saying or what have you, just negativity, right? I luckily don't have to deal with that that much, probably because of just the nature of my content, but I have had my fair share of experiences with that. It's really shitty when that happens, and in the beginning, it used to really bother me because I just felt like it reminded me of the negativity that's in the world, and especially on the internet, and I feel very sad about the prevalence of that. So it was more of a philosophical, almost like existential kind of sadness for me rather than taking it really personally. But now I think I've gotten a little bit better at handling it or ignoring it, but it's just part and parcel of growing a following online. Any unique advice for other business TikTokers? I think the one piece of advice that I don't hear people talking about often enough is create the content you wish existed on TikTok or any other platform, because chances are, if you want to see it exist, other people do too. Don't just always try to mimic what other people are already creating. Create your own category. And then the other thing is have enthusiasm. Share what gives you enthusiasm. Don't worry too much about the algorithm because I found time and again that if I try to over-engineer virality, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But if I just say something that I am genuinely excited to say, maybe I have this aha moment about some business strategy and I share it, even if it's super nerdy and I think it's going to be esoteric and nobody's going to care, that tends to actually do really well. So trust your own enthusiasm. And also that kind of enthusiastic energy I think is contagious and I think people really like to see that. Molly is asking, would love to hear more about how you grew your TikTok presence into new opportunities off the platform. So I haven't gone off the platform too much other than this podcast, which I have really actually started in the past two weeks. And then as far as consulting and brand partnerships, those have all been kind of just inbound coming from, you know, founders and marketers who see my content. So that has been the byproduct of me showing up consistently and creating the best quality content that I can. So that's what I would recommend to everybody. If you create a following based on good quality content that you know is going to add value to somebody's life, if you do that for long enough, the opportunities will come to you. And finally, how much do sponsors pay you if you're 100k followers on TikTok in my niche? Also, at what follower count do you start getting sponsorship requests? Again, these are so case by case. In my niche, I would say it can range from probably a couple hundred to thousands of dollars. It also comes down to lifetime value, right? So think about it this way. Brands that want to work with TikTok creators are looking to get a return. Every business that does any kind of marketing is looking to get a return on that marketing investment, right? And the way they decide how much they're willing to pay for any individual brand deal depends, yes, on your following, but also if they are able to convert at least one person to become a customer through your content, what is the lifetime value that they can expect from that customer? If it's 
only, you know, $100, they're not going to be willing to pay that much unless they think that you can drive dozens of new customers. But if the size of even one potential client or customer is massive for them, then they're going to be willing to pay a lot more. So when it comes to sponsorships, when do I get sponsorships? How do I monetize? How much are they going to pay me? How much can I charge? Reverse engineer from the potential lifetime value, the LTV of the kind of brand sponsors you think would be the best fit for your audience. And then Landry asks, how did I grow so fast? Just probably going to recap some of the things I've already said. I performed what I like to call, again, platform arbitrage. And then I was very consistent. I showed up every single day for 100 days in a row. And after that, I kept showing up almost every day. I've slowed down a little bit over the past few months, but I still try to be consistent when I can. So I think consistency, quality, and niche, those are the things that matter. And then, you know, you have to make it entertaining, of course, and you have to actually add value and all that good stuff, all the obvious things. But I do think that niche and consistency matter a lot. Okay, you guys have a lot of questions and a lot of really good ones. So now we're moving over to Instagram. Monish is asking what insights analytics on TikTok are helpful for creators such as myself. Any suggestions? Yes. So he actually works at TikTok. So thank you so much for asking this. I would love to see which of my content has the highest rate of engagement, not just views, but obviously I can see things like you know, saves and shares and comments. But if I could somehow just easily go into the analytics dashboard and start to toggle so that it sorts my videos in a specific time frame according to what got the most, let's say, shares or saves, because I actually see those as being really reliable for me indicators of engagement, like quality engagement. Views don't always correlate to the kind of deep engagement that I'm looking for. So I would love to be able to just toggle and kind of sort things in that way. I would also love to see which of my videos led to the highest rate of follows. So let's say there are two videos that got the same amount of views, but one of them drove way more follows, like conversions to people becoming followers. I would love to know that information by percentage. So that would be pretty awesome. There are probably others, but those are the ones that come to mind. Turner is asking, what piece of content are you most proud of? I love this question, Turner. Thank you so much for asking this. I would say all the videos that I've done that kind of break down some business content in a really accessible way to people who are not necessarily in the industry, I feel really proud of those. So two examples that actually at the moment are both pinned on my page. One is the what is private equity video about Kim Kardashian's new fund. And then the other one is what is a CEO, COO, CFO, that kind of content. I love when people comment that usually they feel intimidated by business, but now they finally get it. That kind of thing really warms my heart and I love to see that. So I want to create more content like that. And on the other side of the spectrum, I love when I create something that's kind of like a hot take or a prediction or an analysis of the broader industry of direct consumer and people really resonate and circulate it within their teams or their articles written about it. For example, don't be the face of your brand, be the chief evangelist. I think that struck a chord with a lot of people who struggle with this question of how much should I be the face of the brand? How much do I need to be an influencer in addition to being a creator? That kind of thing. Or when I talked about the unbundling of Glossier and how all these clean or no makeup makeup beauty brands these days are all kind of, you know, successors of Glossier. So that kind of thing is always gratifying to me because I am truly a nerd and I get really excited when I'm able to finally have that aha moment of coming across these realizations. And then when I can find the right words that are compelling, and then when other people resonate with them, even though sometimes I think 
I don't think anyone's going to get what I'm trying to say here, that can feel really gratifying. So I think these are the two types of content that make me feel really proud. Okay, so my best friend Chelsea is asking, how do I go viral? Um, you create high quality content, you provide as much value as you can, and you post really consistently. That is literally the formula. That is how you do it. Landon is asking, where else would you repurpose your TikTok content? I would repurpose to reels. I should do that more. I've flirted with that a little bit, but I just saw that it wasn't converting a lot of people to followers on Instagram. So I kind of gave up, but I should probably do more of it. And now that YouTube is starting to pay its shorts creators, I should probably do that on shorts as well. But so far I have not done enough of that. Also, what platform do you switch to if it gets banned in the US? I think I'm just going to double down on probably reels and my podcast. Tess is asking, what's one thing you can now spot, see through, now that you know how the sausage is made? That's such a good question. That's the most thoughtful, probably, question. I think one thing that comes to mind is when it comes to business analysis videos, especially in the consumer or direct-to-consumer space, I can tell when somebody's really done research and when they haven't. I can see where they have been a little haphazard about their analysis. And then the other thing is probably... I mean, I don't know that this is like something that I can see through. It's just a way that my behavior has changed now that I am a creator and now that I'm on that side of the table where if my friends who are creators post something that is a brand sponsored video, I just try to support it. I just try to give it that boost, that heart, that like, that comment, those fire emojis if I can, because I know how much pressure there is, at least for me, I feel so much pressure to not only deliver value to my followers with that kind of content, with all my content, including sponsored content, and to have it perform for my brand partners. It's enjoyable, but it's also nerve wracking because I'm so not in control of the performance, but I want to be. And so I try to just empathize with other creators by giving them that boost when I can, because I think it's really shitty to begrudge creators for trying to monetize because they're the ones day in, day out trying to create good content for you. So I think it's really important to recognize that they also deserve to eat, you know? Another question is tips to transfer followers from TikTok to IG. That's a really good one that I haven't been able to fully crack most of my followers on Instagram, which isn't that many. I think it's like just shy of 4,000 are actually from TikTok, but I don't know what the best way is to increase that rate. I think it's maybe just if you start to share more of yourself on TikTok, people want to continue and deepen that relationship with you and they will follow you to other platforms maybe, but I'm not exactly sure. Do you think creators will be able to grow as fast or as much in 2023 as before? To be honest with you, not as much as maybe 2020 and 2021, but maybe the same as this past year. I do think that in early lockdown, it was easier than ever to go viral. And I think it's going to become increasingly difficult, especially as marketing budgets get reallocated to TikTok ads. That also kind of clogs up the feed, right? So I think all those factors and a lot of people diversifying over to TikTok as an organic channel and as a paid channel, I think that's going to contribute to just it becoming more difficult to grow as easily as before. But also the other kind of lever here is if there are more people joining the platform, which I think there will be, but I think it's maybe going to slow down as far as the rate of increase in users. I think that's also going to balance things out a little bit. So it's really hard to say. 
Jessica says, what do you think consumers will crave from creators in 2023 beyond authenticity? Mm, what a good question. What do I think consumers will crave? I think authenticity, yes, just being more real and being yourself and being human, but also depth, I think, because I think there are just going to be so many people who are trying to be creators and who are creating content. The barriers to content creation are so low and so many people are trying their hand at becoming a creator so that I think the creators who stand out will be very niche and will go really deep in that niche or just focus on quality and depth. And I think you actually do that really well. You're so clear on what you post about and you have just this beautiful, consistent aesthetic. I also see there being a barbell effect where on the one end, on the lower end of followers across different platforms, it won't matter that you don't have as many followers as maybe other creators, but if you're really deep in your niche and build a community there, you'll do okay, especially as we head into a recession. And on the other side of that so-called barbell, if you have a massive following, you'll be okay. But if you're in the middle, if you're not really clear on your niche, if you're not that differentiated and you're not yet also at that stage where you're just huge, I think that middle ground of creators might struggle a little bit more. Okay, Mickey's asking brand partnerships. What was my first lessons from those that didn't happen? Um, my first was TikTok. My second was public, the fintech platform. Um, my third, I don't remember which one my third was. I would have to go back and look. And then lessons from those that didn't happen. Most of the people I initiated conversations with, I ended up working with. There are a few that have emailed me and said, we like your content. What are your rates? And then I tell them my rates and then they kind of disappear. That's happened a few times, but not that many actually, which makes me think maybe I'm not charging enough, but I don't know what the lessons would be from the ones that didn't happen because I don't respond to a lot of the generic email blasts where I can tell that somebody hasn't looked at my specific content or they're just really lowballing me or it's a product that I just wouldn't you know, promote to my audience because it's not something I truly believe in. So I don't really respond to those. And because, you know, those conversations never really got initiated, I don't really have lessons other than I'm glad that I have been relatively discerning about my brand partnerships. We do have one more. It was a question submitted in my Instagram stories. And the thing that was submitted was actually an image. So I have to pull it up because it's not right in front of me. You guys know what I mean? I didn't know you could do that until I just saw it, which is kind of cool. Where are your questions? Okay, there it is. So I don't actually have it available. I'm so sorry. But um, I think it's saying something like signals the beginning of the end of quick grab on TikTok. I'm going to deduce from the very small amount of this image, the screenshot that I can see that you were asking about what stage TikTok is at. Like, where do I think it's at? I think it's at the point where the potential risk for anybody who wants to start growing on TikTok today is that it does get banned. I don't know what percent likelihood there is of that. The potential upside for certain creators in certain categories and niches is that because the platform has had a couple of years to mature and become more mainstream, and now there are less people who are kind of poo-pooing it as this app for teenagers who are dancing, because of that, I think a lot of the other kind of topics or niches that we see on other platforms like LinkedIn or Twitter will migrate over to TikTok. And so there is still that platform arbitrage opportunity for plenty of niches. And I think we're going to start to see more people capitalize on that and create more serious so-called substantive content on TikTok. And I'm excited to see that. I don't know if that answers your question at all. I don't really know what your question is, but I hope that does something. All right, guys, that was the longest episode that I have recorded solo, but I'm so glad you guys asked these questions. They were smart and thoughtful and hopefully really helpful to everybody else. 
So with that, I shall finish packing for New York City because I'm going to fly tomorrow morning at 6am and I'm just going to be there for a few days, but I'm really excited to go back to New York because every time I go back, it's my absolute happy place. And this time it's going to be cold and maybe snowy. So we'll see if this California girl can survive the snow. All right, guys, I'll see you on TikTok, on Instagram, wherever you follow me until later.